Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. So no one really listens to this podcast before it goes live. I record it, I listen to it, and make sure that, uh, well, if I've had to do any edits, like sometimes I have to take a sip of water or cough or I mispronounce a word, so I'll just edit that out. But for the most part, it, it's I kind of type out my outline and then I'm just rolling with it. So a lot of times what happens is, since nobody's listening to it before it goes live, as I'm preparing, I just, sometimes you miss some things. You ever, you know, write a, a paper or something and you've, you think you've proofread it and then you have someone else proofread it and they just pick out something that's just so obvious that you should have seen it all along. Well, that happened this week. So let me clarify for last week's episode, I, we talked about, you know, who is the rock in Matthew 16, 18, the verses. And I, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the whole episode was about who is this rock and this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. And I never clearly stated exactly you know, how I interpret this. I sort of hinted at it, but it wasn't super clear. So uh, I had a question from a buddy like, so what do you think about it? <laughs> so let me just be real clear real quick. I believe that the, the clearest, most biblical way to interpret this rock is Peter's confession. And so, this, you know, on, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I think Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is Jesus? We we must all know who is Jesus. We almost we, we must all answer that question in our own heart. And, and those who are saved are those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of the living God. He died on the cross for our sins. He took our place. He bore the punishment for our sin. And it's our faith in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. That is how we have forgiveness of our sins. And so this, this confession by Peter that, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, this encapsulates all the other biblically sound interpretations. So some people say, you know, Peter is this rock or Jesus is this rock. And I think Peter's confession sort of encapsulates all of that. It, the person of Peter is nothing. The, the man that lived a long time ago named Peter, son of Jonah or, or John, depending on how you, you translate that, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, it is is not a, a significant detail at all without Jesus. And so the church is not built on the person alone of Peter. It is his confession. That is what the, the church is built on. And that confession is about Jesus Christ. So in a way, you could say that the church is built on Jesus as well. So I think the Peter's confession for for me, that is the way I interpret what this rock means. You are Peter, and on this confession that you've made, that I that I Jesus am the the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. That is what I will build my church on, because that is the exact message that Peter preaches at Pentecost to to mostly Jews, and then also in Acts ten when the we see the gospel moving forward to the Gentiles when Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius. So that hopefully that clarifies a little bit more my position on how I interpret that verse. Now, you can always connect with me if you have a question like that or any other question. You can connect with me 
by email at bearchristianity at gmail.com. You can send me a message on Instagram at the real bear Martin. And if you've been a longtime listener of, the, of this show, uh, recently I've done a lot of commercials and things like that, but I used to do a little segment called A Bear in the Woods, and it is coming back this week. Uh, this is a question that, you know, A Bear in the Woods starts with a question that is posed to me. Sometimes that's by listeners, sometimes I have to make it up. And so I have made up this question because I've been doing a lot of yard work lately getting you know it's springtime and warm and the grass has come i have bermuda so that's the type of grass that like goes brown during the winter and now it's starting to green up again and so uh, anyway i thought of this question here here's our question bear if the driveway is blocked or full is it okay to drive or park on other people's grass there's the question and the answer is no absolutely not it is not okay ever Ever, 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 ever. It is not okay to drive or park, even even if you're just like cutting around another car in the driveway. It is never okay to put your tires in someone else's grass, ever. Okay? Well, let me say this. The only way is if that person, the owner of the house who takes care of that yard, if they tell you specifically, hey, if you want to, you can park over there, or hey, that car's in your way, just pull around in the grass, okay? If you have that express permission, then it is okay, but you should should drive on that grass with the the utmost respect and care and gentle turning, all that, okay? It is never okay to drive on someone else's grass. So don't do that, ever, unless you have their permission. And and also, that is a one-time permission. That doesn't mean every time you come over there, you get to drive on their grass. Unless they tell you, hey, every time you come to my house, it's okay if you park right here. And then even then, even then, it, I would probably ask them just to make sure, okay? Nothing is worse than having a nice you know, just perfectly manicured yard and then having tire tracks through it or a dead patch of grass or where someone turned their wheel really hard and so it dug up the grass and you have this little dead spot. Um, so that, that's a, uh, now you're, you're getting into the, the internal workings of my mind when it comes to grass. Now, my dad used to cut grass for different businesses as a side job. So I grew up cutting grass as well and I love a nice, well-maintained yard and don't ruin it with your tires okay the those old guys have it right stay off my lawn For the past few weeks, we've been been discussing some verses in Matthew 16, and this this is a key passage as it regards the Pope and the Roman Catholic claims about what, you know, the, the authority given to Peter, those types of things. Today, our main focus will be on Matthew 16, 19, and it says that this is Jesus talking to Peter, and Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall shall be loosed in heaven. So our first question that we have to ask is, what are these keys? The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, keys represent authority. They represent trusted stewardship. So I I remember, you know, growing up and in high school, I, I played a lot of sports. And sometimes you would need something from the equipment shed. You would need some athletic tape or your, you know, something was broken. Like if you played football and your helmet was broken or something, you would need a new strap or something like that. So, you know, a a question would be, hey, uh, you know, coach so-and-so, do you have the keys or a key to the equipment shed? It, it get, a key gives someone access to something. 
And so there's there's some authority to that. Someone who is um, very well respected in the community, they may be given a, a key to the city, you know, that type of thing. So keys have authority and a trusted stewardship aspect to that. So when when Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, I believe that it is it is Peter's message of the gospel, of who Jesus Christ is. Again, for me, as I interpret this passage, I am focusing on this is Peter's confession. This is this passage is all about Jesus' question, and who do you say that I am? He asks, what, what do other people say that, or who do other people say that I am? And he, then he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the focus of the passage. It is, who is Jesus Christ? Because that is the most you know important question for us, is what are we going to do with Jesus? And so at Peter's message of the gospel, of who Jesus truly was, that is what unlocks the kingdom of heaven for people. And that applies to us today. When we tell others about Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we spread the gospel, that is what is opening heaven to them. If they've never heard the gospel, the, the Bible says, how can they How can they know if they've never heard the gospel? How can they believe if they've never heard the gospel preached to them? And so when we go out and preach the gospel, we are essentially unlocking heaven to them. Now, Roman Catholics will when talking about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, they will go to a few passages that I want to bring up. The first one is Isaiah 22. Isaiah 22, the, the context of this, there is a, a the master of the house. So he's not the king. He's like the prime minister, or he, he sort of handles all the business for the king. So he has great authority. His name is Shebna in Isaiah 22, and he, he has done something wicked. And that authority is being taken from him and given to Eliakim. So Eliakim is going to take Shebna's place. In Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22, it says, and I will place on his shoulder, that is Eliakim's shoulder, the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. So here Eliakim is given this key to the house of David. Now, in, in Revelation 3, 7, Jesus is speaking, and, and here and, and he says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. So Eliakim was given the key of the house of David. That's in Isaiah. That's in the Old Testament. And now Jesus, in Revelation 3, 7, is claiming that he has the key of David who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. So in Revelation, Jesus still holds the key, singular, of David. And in Isaiah 22, Eliakim is given the key, that's singular key, one key, of the house of David. And then Jesus has that in Revelation and and for all eternity. Jesus is claiming this authority over the house of David forever. So that is that is a singular key. Jesus is still holding the singular key. Now let's go back to the, the Matthew 16, 19 verse. Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys of that, that's plural, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So what are these plural keys in Matthew 16? It there there's a couple different ways to look at this. Are these keys to the kingdom of heaven? Is this talking about Peter's priority? So of course, this is the way the Roman Catholic church will interpret this, but I want you to notice a few things. This is in, Jesus is speaking about the future. He says, 
Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Like eventually in the future, I'm, he's not giving them to him to Peter right now. I will give you the keys in the future. So the keys aren't given yet. And when are these keys given to Peter? Well, we don't know because it is not recorded in scripture. Now, I'm not saying Peter doesn't get the keys that Jesus is talking about here, but if this was such an important part of the, you know, as as Roman Catholics say it is, then why do we not have this? Why don't we have this in scripture? Again, it's an argument from silence. And that's a lot of times all we can make because there's just, there's just not a whole lot in the New Testament about Peter being the Pope and all the claims that the Roman Catholic Church makes. So as a Protestant, you have to just look at all this stuff and say, why isn't any of this stuff mentioned? It's just, it's little vague hints here and there that the Catholic Church has to you know, put has to kind of string together and, and sort of prop it up and build it up. So we don't know exactly when Peter is given these keys, but if the keys are, as I believe they are, the this access to the kingdom of heaven because of the message that Peter is going to preach, then this would apply to all Christians. In John 20, 23, this is after Jesus' resurrection, he's speaking to all of the disciples, not just Peter. And he says, if you, this is plural, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so it is the apostles' message. They are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a way, if you if you reject that gospel, then they have the right to say, you are not in the kingdom of heaven. Your, your sins are not forgiven if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that's not and, and when Christians say that that you you know you're you're still in your sin. Your sins are not forgiven. That's not us judging based on our own opinion. We are simply giving the judgment that Jesus Christ has given us through the authority of the Bible. And so that's what Jesus is talking about there in John 20. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness, it's not that that the apostles or 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 any Christians today are trying to pin people down and keep them out of the, he- the, the out of heaven and and keep them from forgiveness. It but we are simply stating the truth. If you reject Jesus Christ, your sins are still on you. And so that that is that's what it's talking about there. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So I mentioned that what are these keys of the kingdom in heaven? I said one option is to think about this as as this these keys are a significance for Peter's priority, his supremacy over the rest of the apostles. And I don't think that holds up. The other way to look at this it, when when Jesus says I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven is that Peter is sort of an example for all believers. And we can see this P- Peter's the one who sort of speaks th- for the disciples all the time and we can we can see so much of our own struggle uh, in the Christian walk as we look at the life of Peter. And so is Peter an example here for all believers? When the, when the gospel is preached, you are unlocking heaven for anyone that you're preaching the gospel to, anyone who accepts that gospel message. And so, any, and then also, I, the reason I think that this applies to all believers, these keys of the kingdom of heaven, is because everyone, when back, if we go back to the verse, 
where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Two episodes ago, I explained, gave biblical evidence for that that applies to every true believer. So if every true believer gets this revelation from the father in heaven, then we could also say that every true believer is given these keys to the kingdom of heaven because of the message that we preach, the gospel message. So again, with this passage about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the Roman Catholic Church, I believe, is asserting way too much. They're saying, okay, this is our doctrine that we established as dogma in 1870 about the Pope. So now the, you know, Matthew 16, 19 must mean this. And they they build it up. They claim way too much for Peter. So on to the next little phrase, and, and this and this kind of builds. So on to the next little phrase in Matthew 16, 19, Jesus says, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, in the writings of Jewish rabbis, the concept of binding and loosing represented the authority to, to, to declare what was permitted and not permitted, like like in the uh, in the religious proceedings in the not not the church but maybe the synagogue. It was okay. This these things are permitted and these things are not permitted. That was the binding and loosing authority. Now the Roman Catholic Church claims that only Peter has this authority in a special way and is supreme over the other apostles. Now, in Matthew 18, 18, just two chapters later, Jesus says this to all of the apostles. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The same phrase Jesus applies to the rest of the apostles. And so here's the the basic position of Roman Catholicism. They'll say, well, first, in Matthew 16, Jesus gave this authority to Peter alone. So Peter is special over the other apostles, and then later Jesus gives this authority to the rest of the apostles. So I want to give you a quote. This is from Tim Staples. He's with Catholic Answers, and I'll leave a link to this video in the uh, in the episode notes. And so here's a quote. Uh, Tim Staples is talking about this verse, and he's talking about Matthew 16 where Peter is given this authority to bind and loose, and then also he's looking at Matthew 18, where all of the apostles are given this authority to bind and to loose. And and here's what Tim Staples says, quote, This authority of binding and loosing is given to all the apostles with Peter, and that's extremely important because Peter alone is given a unique authority of the keys, indicating that Peter can act alone as one man apart from the consensus of others, as Vatican I does defined in 1870, one man apart from the consensus of the others. He doesn't have to take a vote. He doesn't have to stick his finger in the air and see which way the wind is blowing. He has a unique authority. But the apostles and their successors, the bishops, have a collective authority. We refer to this as the College of the Apostles, the College of the Bishops. Their authority and any definitive statements is derived from their collective authority in union with Peter. So if they don't speak in union with Peter, guess what? They don't have any authority. It is with Peter. End quote. So there we had Tim Staples is saying that this is the way this verse should be interpreted, that Peter has supreme authority, and Peter by himself, even if the, the rest of the, the college of bishops do not agree with him, Peter can by himself. He 
Tim Stable says he doesn't have to take a vote. He doesn't have to do anything. Peter or the Pope, because the Pope succeed Peter and, and have the same power as Peter, they can define something without the consensus of the, the college of the bishops. But if the those college of bishops, or, or like if we put this back in the New Testament, if the apostles want to d- state something definitively, but Peter doesn't agree alone, then that is that is void. It, it doesn't count, okay? So that it's really important that you grasp what Tim Staples is saying there, because I believe it's completely opposite of what we find in this exact passage of Scripture. So in Matthew 18, if you start, if you go back up to verse 15, and I won't read it all for you, but it's basically talking about if your brother sins against you, then here's how this should work. If someone does wrong against you, then first you go to him personally and you say, hey, I believe that you wronged me. And and so you essentially are confronting them. And this is this is how the this is called church discipline. This is how the church is supposed to work. This is how believers are supposed to work with one another. And so you go to them personally and you say, hey, I, I feel wronged by you. And, and you try to work it out personally. If that person refuses then, and you and and they just say no I you know I'm not guilty or whatever and y- y'all can't work it out then you go back to them with two or three witnesses as, sort of as mediators and you try to work this conflict out if that doesn't work there's and there's still conflict then you take it to the church that that's what is going on here that's what Jesus is saying in this Matthew 18 passage so that's that's the context. And then in, in Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20, it says, Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So, in the passage, in the, the verse previous to this, Tim Staples is asserting that everybody has to go through Peter. You, you must be in union with Peter. If all the college of bishops, which are a representation of the apostles, if all of those are in agreement, but they're not in union with Peter, then it is void. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if two of you agree, he doesn't say, well, you all, obviously you got to agree with Peter. He says, if any two of you agree, then it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. There is Peter is not supreme here. So Tim Staples is pulling his statements out of thin air. He's saying, okay, the Roman Catholic Church teaches this, and so therefore I have to find it in Scripture. And I believe this is completely opposite of what we're taught here. If two or three agree in my name, Peter's not involved. So you see what Tim Staples is doing here. He is making assumptions based on how the Roman Catholic Church has told him to interpret Scripture. If he would just read the very next verse, he would see that it just says, if two or three are gathered in my name. There is nothing about everybody having to be in union with Peter or the successors of Peter. So once again, we have the inconsistency of the Roman Catholic Church, the sola ecclesia. We tell you what the Bible means, and then you got to find a way to, to make the Bible work within our system. And, and I believe that it is Scripture alone, sola scriptura. We go to the Bible first. All our interpretations of what verses and, and words and passages mean, they have to align with the rest of Scripture. 
Now, next week, we will discuss another verse that Roman Catholics use to say that Jesus made Peter the Pope. It's found in John 21, and this is when they're sitting at the charcoal fire, and Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says this in John 21, 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Mm-hmm.